0: Welcome to this third episode of our podcast, St. Louis-Marie de Montfort and True Devotion, which describes the spirituality adopted and preached by St. Louis-Marie Grignon de Montfort. I am Father Paul Allerton of the Company of Mary, founded by Montfort, about 1715. And this time I want to look at the way in which St. Louis-Marie's spirituality is centered on Jesus Christ, our only Saviour and Mediator with God. We saw last time that along with the rest of what is known as the French School of Spirituality, St. Louis Mary takes the incarnation of the Son of God in the person of Jesus, Son of Mary of Nazareth, as the cornerstone of his spiritual system. It was only through Jesus that God came into our world and promised us salvation from sin and death, and it is only through Jesus that we can approach God. He is, as the theologians say, our only mediator, or go-between, with God our Creator. We saw in the first episode of this podcast that St. Louis Mary makes this clear in his book True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin, where he writes, Jesus our Saviour, true God and true man, is the only teacher from whom we must learn, the only Lord on whom we should depend, the only head to whom we should be united, and the only model that we should imitate, the only physician that can heal us, the only shepherd that can feed us, the only way that can lead us, the only truth that we can believe, the only life that can animate us. But he describes this preeminence of Jesus especially in a book that is not so well known as True Devotion, a book that he wrote probably much earlier in his short life and that is called The Love of Eternal Wisdom. This book, The Love of Eternal Wisdom, according to most of the experts, was probably written by St. Louis-Marie about 1703 or 1704, and seems to be based on a series of retreat conferences that he gave to theology students in the Seminary of the Holy Spirit in Paris, founded by his friend and schoolmate Claude Poulard des Place, the founder of the Holy Spirit Fathers. At this time, St. Louis-Marie was going through a very bad period. He had had to leave the general hospital in Poitiers, where he had been working, and coming to Paris, he found that virtually all his friends of the past had turned against him, for whatever reason, and he was experiencing a sense of being abandoned and lost. The only friend who stood by him in Paris at that moment was Poulard de Place. In some letters he wrote to Marie-Louise Trichet in Poitiers in this period, we find him longing to receive what he calls the gift of divine wisdom. He writes, What happiness would be mine if from all this, his sufferings and humiliations, I obtained divine wisdom, which I long for day and night. I will never cease asking for this boundless treasure, so pray, entreat God, plead for me to obtain divine wisdom." It is this divine wisdom that he treats of in his book The Love of Eternal Wisdom. The book begins with a series of quotations from the Book of Wisdom of the Old Testament. This Book of Wisdom is one of those books called Apocryphal by non-Catholic Scripture scholars, but it is included in the Canon of Scripture as accepted by the Catholic Church. It should be noted that in most languages Wisdom is a feminine noun, and in this Book of the Old Testament Wisdom is portrayed as a feminine person, a woman, who works and indeed plays by God's side from all eternity. The New Testament seems to identify this person with the Logos, the Word of God, whom St. John in his Gospel clearly says is the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, Jesus Christ, who is that Son of God become human flesh, incarnate, as the theologians say. St. Louis-Mary certainly subscribes to this identification, and speaks frequently of Jesus as... The eternal and incarnate Wisdom of God. At the beginning of his own book, The Love of Eternal Wisdom, he is seeking, using the words of the Biblical Book of Wisdom, to show the figure of Wisdom herself longing to draw men and women to herself in love, inviting them, enticing them, almost seducing them. She invites men, he says, to come to her because she wants to teach them the way to happiness. She is forever searching for them and always greets them with a smile. She bestows blessings on them many times over and forestalls their needs in a thousand different ways and even goes as far as to wait at their very doorstep to give them proofs of her friendship. Our English version of the love of eternal wisdom speaks of him instead of her because of the identification of wisdom with Jesus Christ but it can be useful to read these passages with the feminine side in mind. St. Louis-Marie's next comment is, who could be so heartless as to refuse to love this gentle conqueror? And then he devotes the rest of his book, trying to encourage his readers to accept the invitations of divine wisdom and to enter into a relationship of love with Jesus Christ. He uses various arguments to achieve this end, one of which is to reflect on the immense love that God has shown us in sending his Son into the world as one of us to be our Saviour, and the love that Jesus himself showed towards his fellow human beings during his life on earth, but particularly in his willingness to die a terrible death for our sakes. Much of his book is a meditation on the life and death of Jesus Christ, and the love shown by him. He wants in this way to help us to know Jesus, and so come to love him with something resembling the love with which he loves us. For as he says, can we love someone we do not even know? So he says, the most important thing for us as men and women living in this world is to acquire a knowledge of divine wisdom, for only then will we be able to love God in Jesus just as he has loved us. St. Louis Marie acknowledges that most people, if not all, do seek to acquire wisdom, or at least they seek happiness, and wisdom could be said to be the secret of finding that happiness. It is, as it were, the knowledge of where true happiness lies. But beware, he says, there are different kinds of wisdom proclaimed by different groups of people. It is important that we choose the right kind, the kind that will really bring happiness, and not just an illusion of happiness. He has a whole chapter, chapter 7 in The Love of Eternal Wisdom, devoted to the different kinds of wisdom proclaimed by these different groups of people and there's a certain grim humour in some of the things he says. For example, one of the forms of wisdom that he wishes to warn us against is what he calls the wisdom of the world, which he says consists in an exact conformity to the maxims and fashions of the world, a continual inclination towards greatness and esteem, and a subtle and endless pursuit of pleasure and self-interest—not in an uncouth and blatant way by scandalous sin, but in an astute, discreet and deceitful way. He says that those who embrace this worldly wisdom have their own Ten Commandments, and this is where I see his grim humour. You shall be well acquainted with the world, you shall be respectable, you shall be successful in business you shall hold on to whatever is yours, you shall rise above your background, you shall make friends for yourself, you shall frequent fashionable society, you shall seek the good life, you shall not be a killjoy, you shall not be singular, uncouth, or over-pious. So he sees this worldly wisdom as manifested in a search for pleasure, or for power, or for the good esteem of other people, or for praise, and so on. And all of these, he claims, are the wrong way to seek true happiness. They are illusions. Another form of wisdom that he decries is what he calls natural wisdom, or the wisdom of the philosophers. It must be admitted that what he means by philosophers is not quite what we would mean today. He seems to mean those that today we would rather call astrologers, people who, for example, claim to be able to foretell the future by examining your star sign, as well as those he calls alchemists, people who were searching for what was known as the Philosopher's Stone. Not quite the same as in the Harry Potter book of that name, but, as he writes, a powder which, when thrown upon any metal in a liquid state, will change it into silver or gold, which will restore health, cure illnesses, even prolong life, and effect countless marvels which ignorant people believe are divine and miraculous. With him, today, we would tend to laugh at such claims and take no heed of them. But St. Louis-Marie also wants to stress that mere natural human knowledge, no matter how scientific or exalted it may be, will not ultimately bring us true happiness, and is therefore not the true wisdom that he wants us to seek. That wisdom, he says, the only true wisdom, lies in the knowledge of Jesus Christ himself, whom he calls the eternal and incarnate wisdom of God. Only a deep knowledge of Jesus will bring us to true, everlasting happiness. Next time, we will look at this a little more deeply, and at the means that St. Louis Mary proposes for acquiring this true wisdom. Until then, goodbye, and God bless you.